I'm Sarah Jane Weaver, editor of The Church News. Welcome to The Church News Podcast. We are taking you on a journey of connection as we discuss news and events of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with leaders, members, and others on The Church News team. We end each Church News Podcast by giving our guests the last word and the opportunity to answer the very important question, what do you know now? We hope each of you will also be able to answer the same question and say, I have just been listening to the Church News Podcast, and this is what I know now. We are thrilled today to welcome Elder Craig C. Christensen, a General Authority 70 for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, to the Church News Podcast. Elder Christensen was born in Salt Lake City. He and his wife, Debbie, are the parents of four children. Elder Christensen graduated from Brigham Young University with a bachelor's degree in accounting. He also has a master's of business administration degree from the University of Washington. At the time of his call as a general authority in 2002, Elder Christensen was a self-employed businessman in the retail, automotive, insurance, and real estate development industries. Elder Christensen was named president of the Utah area on August 1, 2018. He had previously served as a member of the Presidency of the 70 from 2012 to 2018 with supervisory responsibilities in various areas of the church. Today, he is joined by Scott Taylor of the Church News. Scott has been a reporter for the Desert News and Church News since 1985. We are excited to talk with both of them about all that has occurred during the COVID-19 pandemic, what the church learns from the Utah area, and what the Utah area represents in a broader way for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Welcome, Elder Christensen and Scott, to the Church News Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Elder Christensen, thanks for joining us. Uh, You and I spoke a couple of months ago about the possibility of talking about areas in the church, and you are quite the expert, having presided over the Mexico area at a time. Your assignment in the presidency of the 70 included oversight of, the, of areas at the time, too. Uh, you served as the president of the Utah area for a number of years and have an upcoming assignment down with the South America South area. Let's start off. What is a church area? Scott, the, uh, the areas of the church are really administratively driven. They're not formed for any scriptural or ecclesiastical reason. It's a way that we've managed in kind of a decentralized way, areas around the world. The church is operating in countries throughout the world, and area presidencies have been formed to supervise in a local way uh, the work of the church, as well as interacting with mission presidents and their companions, mission leaders, stake presidents, and others. So we currently have, I believe, 16 international areas and they've been consolidated down to six areas in the United States and Canada. I remember when I was a stake president, there were three areas in Utah alone, and now there's just one, and that's quite a bit. We'll talk about the Utah area specifically in a moment. Let's uh, let's talk about the differences between uh, a North America area and international areas, how they're administrated and functions and responsibilities and oversight, if you will. Part of the interest there might be that, uh, you know, areas were formed originally in about 1984. Before that, we had area supervisors that, that lived in country, but they didn't have formal areas. In 2003, President Hinckley announced that the domestic areas, we call them, United States and Canada, would be 
eliminated, and all that work would be supervised by the presidency of the 70. What really happened is they kept areas. They actually expanded them, and that's why Utah had three areas, as we had an existing structure. In uh, 2018, when I was called as the Utah area president, we still had three areas, although I was, even before that, supervising all three of them. And for just consolidation reasons, they formed them. In, I think, 2019, they announced it would be the Utah area, just one area. It's the largest area in the church with uh, 628 stakes this week um, (laughs) and over 2 million members on any one Sunday, although we're 13% of the worldwide population of the church, membership of the church. uh, On any Sunday, uh, about a fourth of the church attends church pre-COVID in Utah. It's actually gone up with virtual church because we're getting more numbers that are attending now virtually than we had in person. The areas quite often will follow state and international boundaries for matters of convenience. That's not necessarily the case of the Utah area. Tell me about the the footprint. All of the areas in the domestic church look at population centers, so they, they're not state-driven. They're more church, ecclesiastically-lined-driven. So the Utah area goes into Idaho, Preston, and Malad. It goes into Wyoming, all the way up to Kemmerer and even into to Rock Springs. It goes south, but we don't have all of Utah. We don't have Monticello in the Four Corners area. That's more associated church-wise with New Mexico and that part of the region. We go into Arizona. We have a little bit of Nevada. So it, it really, if you looked at a footprint, it's most of Utah, but it also includes some of the surrounding uh, centers for the church. So prior to the serving in the presidency of the 70, you presided over the Mexico area. And then, as you mentioned, uh, when you were a member of the presidency of the 70, you had responsibility over areas in North America. Then that division came later with the presidency of the 70 moving away from area oversight. About the same time, you took over responsibilities for the Utah area. What has been the, the difference you've seen in area supervision and area responsibility from those different time periods, Mexico to presidency to to Utah, and, and now moving into uh, 2021 and your responsibilities in South America. So the senior leaders, the first prince in the Quorum of the Twelve, are treating domestic areas equally as they would treat international areas. Uh, being in Utah, it's been quite interesting. Members of the first prince here, the Twelve, would participate quite often in local events, and the sentiment now is when they're asked, uh, they'll say, one, we're a global church, and two, we have an area presence in Utah. So they're trying to recognize more openly the fact that we have domestic areas. They're still, because we're at the headquarters of the church, there's still a lot of involvement by senior leaders in everything we do. But the intent or the desire is that the domestic areas function under the same ecclesiastical pattern that we've learned internationally. The bigger difference is more administrative. If you were to visit the Mexico City area office, all of the church employee functions that are in Salt Lake have been duplicated in Mexico. But we don't have to do that domestically. We can rely on the departments of the church. So I do not have a membership and records department, or I don't have a legal department. I don't have public affairs. Those are all done by church headquarter departments we can focus on the ecclesiastical work of the church. That, that's really the big difference. 
Tell me about area presidencies, how they are formed or who participates in area presidencies, both uh, domestically and internationally. There are little deviations in a couple of international areas. And then after that, talk about the uh, oversight from the presidency of the 70 and the quorum of the 12 apostles. Wonderful question. Most people will relate to this analogy, but we have missionaries throughout the world, and some of them are assigned to be zone leaders or district leaders or sister training leaders. Those are assignments. They're still missionaries. Well, we have general authority in Area 70 throughout the world, and that's our calling, but we're assigned at times to serve in area presidencies. So once a year, they make an assignment change. The tenure of an area presidency member might be two or three or four years. But once a year, we're rotated and moved by assignment, almost like a missionary being transferred to serve in one specific role or another. The assignments come in April every year, and we we have our transfers, if you will, in August. And that's how area presidencies are formed. And so we have two Area 70 serving in area presidencies. Those are unique situations. One is in Europe East, which would be Russia, and he's a Russian citizen. The other one is the Middle East Area Presidency, and uh, we call uh, Area 70 who have quite a bit of familiarity with that part of the world. Sometimes they live there. Sometimes it's just because of their knowledge base. So they're unique situations. Most of the time, Area Presidency members are full-time, their wives, church service, uh, consecrated, go anywhere they're asked to go, and they serve until they're given emeritus status. And not just restricted to the area, because we've talked, while you've presided over the Utah area, you've had assignments come from the president of the Corps of the Twelve to go do mission tours in Mexico, for example, things like that. So it's not just restricted to the one area. Yeah, of most of the time, it's concentrated. I wouldn't say restricted, but it's concentrated. We do whatever we're assigned to do. So they might be unique, but it's concentrated in that area because area presidencies need to know exactly what's going on in their area. So they spend most of their time focused on one particular area. How has your Mexico experiences differed from Utah? What's one of your takeaways from your Mexico experience? So there's a proximity issue there in that when you're in an area long distance from from those that supervise the work, from those that uh, are involved in, you feel a, a, a responsibility. You still try and do everything that is expected of you, but it's a little bit more boots on the ground, do whatever's needed. Uh, if there's a problem, you jump on a plane and go solve it. You know, you're you're active in the area. You set the vision for that area. You interact with the people. Being concentrated in the United States and Canada, so close to the senior leaders, they set the vision for our area, and they're more involved in what we do every day. You ask about supervision. The presidency of the 70, because we're all 70, preside over our work. So we report, I report to a member of the presidency of the 70 in the Utah area as well as to a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, the assigned member. And because it's Utah, my relationship there is much more direct with the members of the Twelve and the First Presidency than they would be otherwise. Once again, we're talking about 25% of the active church is here in Utah. So there's quite a bit of interaction with senior leaders as it relates to Utah. Part of the oversight from the senior leaders includes 
area reviews on a regular basis. Tell me what is an area review and what are some of the activities, uh, responsibilities, opportunities with that? So at least once a year, sometimes more frequently, every area in the church reports to what's called the area committee, which is the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and the Presidency of the Seventy, the presiding bishopric. And so we all have a chance via technology to report, or in our case in person, to all of the members of the Twelve and the Presidency of the Seventy. Then once a year, in addition to that, they visit us. And it's usually a member of the Twelve and a member of the Presidency of the Seventy and a member of the presiding bishopric. And that's really the kind of an organic detailed level. They they spend one or two days with us, and it's it's really our chance to get counsel and direction, to give a stewardship report of what we've been working on, to uh, make sure we're all aligned in what the vision for the area is. So, so that's how we keep senior leadership informed, is through that process of area committee reports and area reviews. Now, for you, an area review involves people on the same church headquarters campus. What have area reviews been like during the <laughs> pandemic? Any insight? Well, we, we've we done a lot virtually, that's for sure. But uh, because we're right here, it's probably more interactive than other areas around the world in, in person and reporting that. But uh, one of the fun things about being in Utah is an area review happens every weekend because Senior leaders have grandchildren in every ward in Utah, I think. I don't know. It seems like they do. But, but uh, they're observing, you know, if we, if we give some directions on how church looks and how church is carried on in Utah, it gets back to church headquarters before I do. And it's, it's really fun to watch how they've been kind and helpful in, in steering, you know, to, to, to close church down and then to start it up again has been quite an interesting year especially in a place as active as Utah. Elder Christensen, tell us actually what it looks like to have to close church down for uh, a fourth of the church in a very small area. Yeah, so clearly this came upon us quickly. If you go back to the middle of March of last year, and we had never done this before, and all of a sudden all of the restrictions started to come, and uh, we worried about our members and so we started working through what that looked like, how do you suspend church, and then how do you provide a worship experience in homes. And conferring with senior leadership of the church, you saw that we moved to a home-centered model where ordinances are performed by those that could in their home, and we had people visit those that didn't have the possibility of receiving the sacraments or, or worshiping at home. And so we tried to keep people from overreacting or underreacting by giving some principles to our local leaders to follow. And we relied on them. There was no way to be the compliance team for an area this large. So you give, you teach principles, and then you hope that they're able to implement those in a safe and a, and a wonderful way. And quite frankly, it was executed perfectly. We, we learned to really trust local people, local leaders. They don't have to be directed. They were looking for some principles, but once we we set the stage, it started to move rather well. As we interact with other faith groups, they're asking us, well, how do you do this? And one of the great things about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is that ordinances don't have to be performed in a church building. They can be performed by lay members of the church in their homes. And so we didn't skip a beat. Worship continued, ordinances continued, and we started to flow forward in a home-centered model. 
the blessing of having what we call home-centered church-supported gospel learning prior to this prepared our people for a worship experience in their home from a learning the gospel standpoint. And this just helped us become even better at that. We stood back and marveled at, at how suspending church happens seamlessly. Now, then people get antsy. They want to meet. The people like to come together. That's what worshiping looks like. And so all of a sudden, there's pressures being put on us to find a model where we could actually meet in church. And we've never really had tele-church. We've never had a video church. We've never broadcast church. And so we started looking with the First Prince and the Twelve under their direction, looking at models where we could have a very limited number in person, and then broadcasting worship experiences to homes with the ordinances continuing at home or at church, depending on where people found themselves. And the first time in my life, or probably ever, we've we've lived that kind of a model, but it also was magnificent. And we watched how that worked. So we started to do kind of a hybrid of worshiping together and worshiping at home. And we can continue that. We're still in that model now. We're getting a few more coming to church. We can continue that model for as long as this pandemic lasts. I, I'm noted of saying that church is the safest place in Utah, and we need to keep it the safest place in Utah by being respectful of not just ourselves but those that we're interacting with. And so we try and be cautious with masks and distancing just like everyone else, but our people are, are settled in the model that we're doing. Well, and earlier you inferred that, that actually this was an opportunity for people who may not have been fully participating in church services to then participate. Really fun to see people that have been isolated that couldn't get to church being able to connect with church. That, that's one of the learnings we've had in this is, is we can reach out and find ways to connect people to church. The other one are those that have distanced themselves from church, but now all of a sudden their family is in their home and they go to their family, grandpa, grandma, a child that hasn't been to church for a long time, and they're involved in the church worship experience. So, so our our extension of church to to more of of our people has been expanded by this, not contracted. So, while the Utah area has taken a lead role in helping return to church or hold church in the home, it's taken the lead from other temples throughout the world as far as the phased reopenings. I've noticed that temples in other areas of the church outside of Utah, outside of the United States, have been the first ones to reopen. The first ones go to phase two, phase three, the baptisms. That kind of leads into my next question. What can the Utah area learn from the international church? The temple side is a volume question. If you looked at the volume of people that try and attend the temples that we have in Utah, it is by a multiple of several greater than other temples around the, the world. So if you're going to try and come back in a cautious way, it makes sense to start where the volume is lower and you can address the issues. As we started to move temples in Utah to phase one, then phase two, and now phase two B, I would go out on a Sunday with the temple president and matron and walk through how they were going to handle the volume because it's quite interesting to try and orchestrate that. Our people missing the temple uh, when they were closed down would go and park in the parking lots of temple. If you would have driven around Utah, 
and just watch the parking lots. People are sitting in the parking lot just trying to be close to that temple experience. So there's all of this desire to be in temples. That's that's the question I get the most. You know, when can we go? When can we go more frequently? When can we go in larger groups? And once again, we're being cautious. Probably the most difficult thing for the first presidency to do would be to suspend temple worship for a season. That That's not what we're about. And they're most anxious to open it up, but they want to make sure it's done in a cautious way. As far as the just of your question, what are we learning from the international church? This goes both ways. One of the amazing questions I always ask my brethren that are serving in area presidencies around the world is, what have you given up that you never want to bring back? And what have you learned that we need to incorporate into the church going forward from this period of time? What learnings have we actually come to? That list is long and amazing. Let me give you an example. Let's assume that you're serving in Central America, and our members are used to coming together to to coordinate missionary work or to hold a presidency meeting or a lot of things that, that require a lot of sacrifice for people to come to. They can make it to church, three buses, uh, all the sacrifice to get to church, but to have the church we have in Utah and overlay that on international areas, it's just a burden on the people. With technology, that solved all of that. Well, that works in Utah as well. We don't have to have so many meetings and so many congregations, so many coordination meetings to be able to, to carry about the business of the church. We can focus on what matters most. So you see this great simplification happening, especially in Utah. Utah, we've complicated what the church experience is like, and we're trying to learn from international areas to see what, what's the essence, what, what's the simplicity, what would the Lord have us do, and what really matters. And, and to me, we don't want to lose that. The fear is, as we come roaring back, we bring all those old traditions with us, and so we've gone through a process of saying, okay, how do we message to keep this really simple? President Russell M. Nelson recently announced the 27th Temple for Utah in Ephraim. At a time when when temple worship has been limited, when when actually the way we worship in our churches on Sunday has been limited, we have continued with temple building, temple groundbreakings, temple announcements. It feels like, especially in this state, you've participated in many temple groundbreakings this year. Talk about, even at a time when temple worship is limited, how the work of temples keeps moving forward. Clearly, the current pandemic will pass. In temple worship, you're always planning out, you know, you announce a temple, and then three years later, a little less than that, perhaps sometimes a little more, it actually becomes operational. And so the first prince and the 12 are still rolling forward the work of temples. Utah, as you've noticed, every conference, and now even between conferences, the president of the church announces a temple in Utah. Well, that's because of the the faithfulness and the activity level of temple work in Utah as compared to other places around the world. Still, in this pioneer state, we have more ordinances being performed in temples than other areas combined. It's just been amazing to watch that faithfulness of our saints. So the Ephraim announcement in the middle of a pandemic, I was down at the press conference I was asked the question, seven miles from the Manti Temple, we're going to build another temple. What's, how do you keep that? And, and I said, just listen to the students at Snow College. Look at the faithful members around here. Can you imagine 
a student at Snow College, just like we have at other places, Rexburg or Provo or, or any other college, between classes they can walk to the temple and do ordinances. We had a luncheon with the leadership of the LDS student organization at Snow College after the announcement. You should have seen the excitement. So I think the prophetic vision of what that means for that area is is amazing. Well, that's that's what temples do. They they ignite a level of activity in our people that's just amazing to watch. Elder Christensen, what have you learned, and what have the Latter-day Saints in the Utah area learned about the church, their role, their opportunities during the pandemic? Part of the pandemic has helped us to focus on what matters most. And so the family experience has been an amazing thing to happen, but also the church experience. If you go to a baptism of a child today, we used to have videos and entertainment around it, but because of safety reasons, they're very simple and focused on the ordinance and what really the purpose for our meeting is. And I think the pandemic has helped all of us focus more on what what matters most. I think it also has accentuated how we serve one another. It's really interesting. We couldn't interact, and we typically see ministering as an interaction. We visit our neighbors or we take food in or whatever the interaction is, and those things were restricted. But our concern and our worry about who's around us and how they're doing was accentuated. So there was an outreach that we've never seen in my experience among members of the church reaching out to everyone, everyone that's close to them. It's also given us a chance to serve unconditionally, without assignment, but this desire to serve. And one of the great examples, if you remember the state of Utah and the health care facilities when they couldn't have masks and gowns and personal safety uh, attire, they asked us to participate in producing masks. And uh, I remember those discussions with the Relief Society presidency of the church and, and the area presidency, how do we do this? And they worried about how many people would actually do this. We set a goal of $6 million. We thought it would take several months. It took about two weeks. And uh, people just rallied to the support. If you remember, in the midst of this, we had windstorms and earthquakes and, and all kinds of things going on. And I remember getting a call uh, to see if we could help remove the wood that was laying all over Salt Lake City. And while others were trying to get organized, because we have an organization, all of a sudden the church members stepped in. And within a matter of two or three days, we cleaned up massive amounts of wood. And the blessing of that is we, we shipped it to the Navajo Nation because they needed the wood. And so we were able to serve twice, help clean up the city and help ship to people in need that would need the wood for their own survival. So you see some, you know, you could go to the real personal. What did we see? Fathers and mothers reaching out to family members that were suffering. And we kind of look at the, the blessings. We've lost people. We've lost saints. We've had tragedy. And you can't, you know, to not be able to have a funeral service or, or mourn with those that are mourning have been really difficult times. But I've also seen this real personal outreach, sincere outreach to help those that are suffering and going through these hard times. All of those things combined, this has not been a good time. This has not been a happy time because it is difficult. But everyone learns something from this that will bless us in years to come. Let me ask you a concluding question. And Sarah, often as she concludes her podcast, 
ask the guest to share what they know now. My question to you would be, and and include your testimony with it, but what do you know now about church areas and specifically how the Utah area blesses and benefits from the international church? Thank you for that question, Scott. I've been serving in the Utah area six years, three as a member of the presidency and three as the area president. When I received this assignment, my companions kind of worry about it because it's a very active area. It takes a lot of energy and effort to serve in this way in this area. And I focused in on the issues, but what I learned was all the blessings. And so the conversations in the first part were, where are the problems we have to address And in the last two or three years, we've just stood back and marveled at the level of faithfulness and dedication of the saints, the leadership ability that's here, the rising generation that's coming after multiple generations of members of the church. We look past some of the outlying issues and focus on the strength of the church here in this great state. Well, we have an increasing diversity which is an amazing thing. We have an influx of those not of our faith, which is rich and amazing. And so I think the the future of the church in Utah becomes even more important as we reach out and build relationship with community members, with those not of our faith. We have the ability to shape what's great about Utah in a bigger way going forward than we have in the past. We've been too isolated, if you will, too much member-centric And I think opportunities are happening in Utah that are just blessing all of us, and we're all learning more and more. This is the mission field. And people think, well, are there missionaries in Utah? We have more missionaries in Utah than any other area of the church. It's been amazing to watch what's happening in the the work here in Utah. The blessing of serving here has been life-changing for me. It's pressed us, our presidency, to, to work harder and do more than we could do otherwise but then the spiritual blessings that come with that, the insights, the inspiration, the interaction with senior leaders as we try and do everything they ask of us, it's been a, a really fulfilling assignment. As they made the changes, the new uh, area president, everyone started issuing condolences, like, you've got the hardest job in the church, and I put my arm around him and said, no, you've got the best job in the church. This is an amazing place to serve. You know, we're all, we're all trying to serve each other in the best way we can. My experience is that God teaches us to love Him and then love others, and I think it's, it's in that order. And so as we all dedicate our lives, I, I have a deep testimony of the Savior. I have a deep testimony of our Heavenly Father. I love to be in this service. It's one of the most amazing parts of my life, and I mostly love serving and ministering to those around me. And I think that's really the opportunity we all have of, of being members or those close enough to the church to see the benefit of the church in the area. And I share that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You have been listening to the Church News Podcast. I'm your host, Church News Editor Sarah Jane Weaver. I hope you have learned something today about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints by peering with me through the Church News window. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. And if you enjoyed the messages we shared today, please make sure you share the podcast with others. Thanks to our guests, to my producer, Kellyanne Halverson, and others who make this podcast possible. 
Join us every week for a new episode. Find us on your favorite podcasting channel or with other news and updates about the church on thechurchnews.com. Thank you.